Welcome back to an all new, all different episode of Aim for the Bushes. I'm your podcast person, Pavlo, also known as JPav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. And back with me today is fellow special podcast person, Alex. He has returned. Hello, yeah. my followers. <laughs> <laughs> he is of return, yes. And today's topic, if you did not read the show description, which is completely fine, we are talking about how businesses are not job creators. I just want to say it's very funny, I think, that you say that uh, usually, and it's like, people have to read the title yeah, of the Yeah, you episode. don't have to read anything. <laughs> <laughs> you just click, they're just like, oh, aim for the bushes. Hit a random I, button. I don't even, I don't even know. Don't even random know track, about. random track button you can just hit, right? Isn't that how <laughs> music streamers work? I actually don't listen to uh, like any Spotify stuff or oh really anything like that. No, no, no. Like even I had like a bunch of podcasts and stuff I'd listen to before bed and stuff. But just over the last year, like I've stopped huh. listening to stuff and like music comes and goes like, you know, it's just one of those things. So Sad. I don't know how all the stuff works. Well, I mean, when I do listen to tracks, like it's like not from whatever oh, you're people just, like, listening listen to it. To. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on just, your own like, stuff that you've got. Yeah, I have an old iPod, actually, with a bunch of music, and that's, that's how I listen to stuff. Cool. And yeah, so before we get into today's topic, that was just a little tangent for you. So if you're an OG listener or a long-time <laughs> listener, you know how we love, love a our, tangent. You love the tangents. Yes. Uh, before we get into today's topic, first, our non-legal legal disclaimer, which is simply that the opinions expressed in this episode and other episodes of this podcast are simply that, our opinions. So you are free to agree with us or you can disagree with us. We're not saying that we have the ultimate truth or that our viewpoints are the only correct viewpoints. So now with that out of the way, businesses are not job creators. This is Mm -hmm. a slogan that you may have come across or you may have heard over the course of your life or in the news or in any political shows, talking points. People will say this thing, this phrase, you know, that businesses are job creators. I mean, I think this is something that has come up with the um, with the pandemic over the last couple of years. Right. It's one of the things where people are concerned about the state of the economy and all that stuff. Right. Always, always concerned about the economy. It's a big part of like the anti um, health and safety measures put in place or mask mandates, vaccine mandates, that kind of thing. A big part. Of of that stuff is is because it's like we need businesses to thrive. We need the economy. We've to got thrive. to get the economy rolling. We can't just sit. I I heard that literal statement came out of my father. I think like a year ago. Oh really? He's <laughs> like, we can't just we can't just you know isolate forever. We go, oh, what's going to happen to the economy? Exactly <laughs> right. So we Dad, hear I'm these sorry. things, <laughs> and part of it is the idea, or a big part of it, I should say, is the idea that yeah, businesses whether big or small or medium-sized businesses are what's responsible for like economic growth and prosperity. So we have to cater to that at all costs, right? Whenever you talk about like budgets and like uh, cutting things from a budget or giving tax cuts, right? It's mm-hmm. uh, or government subsidies. It's for businesses. It's all geared towards that. Yep. And the hope is that or at least the justification, the ideal is that by doing this, businesses will employ people. People will work and exchange for money and then be able to use that money to spend on other things, products and services. And that cycle repeats itself. And then that's how we have 
the things that we have essentially in the very simplified form of it. So the idea is that, well, we should make it easier for those businesses, companies, corporations, whatever, to do what they need to do so we get everybody working, right? And if everybody's working, that means they're useful and they're contributing to society. Because, you know, then you pay taxes and then that goes into different things provided, different services provided by the government. And that's what keeps the world turning. Or so they want you to believe. Yeah, or so they want you to think. And it's like, oh, that's not exactly how things happen. I sound like such a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> so that. I was like, big business wants you to think It's all this. the lizard people. That's what they want. <laughs> no, there's no lizard people. At least Definitely not yet. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> they'll come they'll come later uh yeah so i'm i'm tight and what interests me in this topic is that like when you actually stop and think about it uh you know that's not actually the case uh like a big mm. part of this comes from uh I, I mean i'm sure you could trace the history back further but like in the 80s there's a big push from like i guess neoliberals so like reagan in like the states right president ronald reagan margaret thatcher uh in the uk really kind of like push this idea that it's like, you know, the government should just be there to, you know, provide for businesses and not so much for people, right? Like it's your responsibility, right? The, like I think Margaret Thatcher said something along these lines was basically like government shouldn't provide any services for you. Don't expect the government to do anything for you, right? You have to take personal responsibility. And so that, that's like that viewpoint, that view of, of society and how, how things should work is like what motivates this idea that, oh, no, we should be doing everything that we can to assist businesses because that's what's going to empower people to be able to mm -hmm. be economically uh, prosperous. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I d completely disagree with that point. Yeah. <laughs> Takes a big sip of water. <laughs> yes. Hold for applause. <laughs> If only we had an audience. Oh, that would be a goal for one day doing like a live show or something like that. That'd be cool. You should get like a laugh track. Yeah. <laughs> I should do that. Yeah. I think I have audio tracks. But like, doing a show for a live audience would be kind of sick, actually. That would be sick. Then you could just like still have the laugh track if no yeah. one like actually laughed and just like pipe it yeah, in. Yeah, we can just pretend. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, so but why when, do you why do you disagree with that? Well, because like whenever like if everyone did what they're supposed to do, if everything worked as uh, every, everyone claims how things are supposed to work, then sure, I wouldn't have an issue with it. It's kind of like for like the pandemic, let's say, right? People are against vaccine mandates or mask mandates, right? And technically, mm -hmm. we wouldn't need any of that really if everyone did what they were supposed to do, right? If everyone wore a mask when they're supposed to wear a mask, right? If everyone stayed home uh, when they feel sick, if everyone, you know, went out and actually got vaccinated because it's the right thing to do to protect themselves and to protect their community, then we wouldn't need, you know, vaccine mandates. We wouldn't need uh, any kind of restrictions and closing down businesses and, and all this stuff. But people don't do those things, right? And it doesn't matter what's going on because people will think, ah, it's not going to affect me, right? A lot of people mm -hmm. who I saw, especially early in the pandemic and maybe even still now, a lot of people are like, oh, I didn't think it was a big deal until I got sick. So yep. a lot of people have this. And it's just something I guess that's like human nature. It's like hey, this, this could affect anyone, this type of thinking, right? Where it's not, not really a problem. You don't see something as a problem until it affects you personally. That's a lot of people's. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people have that mentality, right? 
Yeah, and and it's not just in terms of the pandemic. It's a lot of things. Like a lot of things. That's why we're are, not doing anything about climate change realistically. Yeah, because you, it's not something you will ever like observe in like a really like tangible way. Like climate change yeah. is like so abstract, right? It's like uh, until it's not going to be. Yeah, like. but the, by that point, it's too late. Once it's, it's a concrete effect, and like the world has like definitely warmed up more. And, you know, you've seen the effects of like you know, the ice caps melting and all that stuff. Then it's like, oh, shit. But like now when we still have a chance to not go down that path. Right. Like when you say, oh, it's like a hotter what, what month are we? April or by the time this comes out, May. Oh, it's a hotter May than it was like last year or over the last 20 mm. years or uh, since recorded history. Like that's an abstract thing. Right. So it's like these 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 broader issues like don't impact us like directly it's not like you know if a ball is coming at you and hits you in the head like that's a direct thing that's going to come and that you can act in or react to and do something about it but it's just like a vague notion that oh yeah something may kind of sort of happen like you you know you just kind of like you like our brains aren't good at like rationalizing that down into something it's just kind of like Mm -hmm. "Eh, okay it's like when you hear a really really big number right when you're like (laughs) you know 10 times 10 to the 10 right i don't even know what that is but that's a big number you can't like quantify that but if you're oh there's one of something or there's 10 of something okay i can picture that in my head that's basically what we have with these like economic policies and that's why like i don't agree with them because companies and people are also greedy and we live in a system that permits them to be greedy, right? In this capitalistic I system. I also that we think have. it's a system that exactly incentivizes people yeah. to be greedy, right? Yeah. So I don't believe like necessarily people are greedy by default because one thing I also mm-hmm. don't like, I don't like the idea of like survival of the fittest or dog eat dog mentalities. Stupid concept. Because it it overlooks the fact that people can cooperate and work together. It's not just Oh, well, I'm going to beat someone up because yeah. I can beat someone up, right? If I can outmuscle people, I will. It absolutely, yeah, it absolutely ignores the fact that for the vast majority of human history, we have gotten to where we are and made progress because we collaborated rather yeah. than looking out for just ourselves. Yeah, right? and because we work together. And, and yeah, like there's been conflict, obviously, throughout human history, uh, you know, when people like uh, go to war and like fight and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And even like animals who are like non-rational beings, like, you know, they fight and stuff. So that happens. I'm not saying conflict never happens, but for the most part, you want to work together. And even when people use nature as an example for saying, oh, yeah, like a lion will kill like a zebra or something like that. And there you go. Right. Like that's a justification. It's like, yeah, there are some things where an animal will kill another animal. But there's also many examples where different creatures, different species work together because of symbiotic relationships. Yeah, Yeah, benefits them all. What always gets me about people who are like, well, that's how nature works, that like this, this, like this appeal to natural, how, how, how the natural world works is what really gets me about it is that, sure, that's how the animal kingdom works. As a human species, we've evolved past that. We're no longer Neolithic apes, right? We have concepts like the economy and morality uh, that totally distinguish us from what is supposed to be natural, right? What is according to the the animal kingdom specifically, right? And the idea of appealing to, it's so so funny because people who are appealing to ideas of what is natural are appealing to like a traditionalist kind of thing, right? This is how things are supposed to be, Mm -hmm. right? It's prescriptive uh, when in reality, like 
<laughs> I don't know. Uh, what's what is natural is always dictated by those in power, right? Like mm-hmm. what is seen as the the natural way of things uh, is never an objective truth, which is always really funny when you think about it in a certain way. So people who are always who try to appeal to that are like full of shit. I find usually. Yeah, whenever someone's yeah who's trying to harken back to a past that how how a time once was, right? <sighs> It's Bro. like, yeah, if you actually go and look into it, it's like that time that you're appealing to never existed. It's like, it sucked. <laughs> it also like it also like might have been good for a certain group of yeah, people, but not people, good yeah. for so many others. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so that worldview and that philosophy, if you if that's something you hold, which like a lot of people do hold and like value or try to make it so that that's the default way, right? That's the status quo, mm-hmm. right? That's going to affect. That's going to impact everyone right because if you're the person in power if you're someone in uh, elected to government or you know if you're one of these lobby groups and stuff or you're you know you're a large corporation someone wealthy right these are the type of things that you're going to want to push yeah and there's a lot of precedent and reason for that right uh it's uh so a while ago now about my boss got me a book um that's called oh shit uh the adventures of a t-shirt or something like that Uh, okay uh it basically so it's it's this uh it's this book written by this economist who who was like the founding principle of this book was like well how how does the my cotton t-shirt that i get uh what's the story behind that what is it what are the different steps that it goes through what are all the different businesses and processes and systems that it has to that are worked together in order to get me my ten dollar my fifteen dollar t-shirt or whatever right and I haven't gotten through the book yet, but the first few chapters are dedicated to um, cotton, the cotton business in the United States specifically in like, uh, it's a great study in like tech uh, in Texas, specifically in Lubbock, Lubbock. I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh, and the reason that today, or at least when they, I think the book was written in 2011, 2015, don't quote me on that. Uh, and why at the time they were writing this, the reason like a lot of people think like, oh, well, you get your cotton shirts from the cotton from your shirts are from like, you know, developing countries and or something. That's why they're. Uh, but actually, a lot of the cotton that we get from our T-shirts and stuff actually originate from the United States. And the reason that the, co- the cotton fa- car- cotton farmers in the U.S. have such a strong hold on uh, the market in mm-hmm. general is because of a gov- bunch of government programs, a bunch of government subsidies that allow them to really control a lot of market um discrepancies and shit that could like bad shit and mitigate losses and mitigate shit that could happen to them that really favors american cotton farmers mm-hmm. uh and it it's it's such an interesting it's such an interesting thing to think about especially cuz the topic today is like we're talking about you know uh, businesses and in the article that you talked to me about but i'm sure you'll probably put in the show notes right yes. uh something that is touted along with the fact that like oh businesses are these job creators is is government subsidies for businesses right uh no matter the scale of them and i guess we can talk about scale later um but the thing it when i think about what we're talking about here in relation to the example that i just gave is right a lot of people can look at that and be like well hey if cotton if texas cotton is booming like crazy it must be an incredible job facilitator incredible job creator right Mm -hmm. when in reality cotton far the the most the people who are benefit most in the cotton industry from this are not like new businesses or anything Mm -hmm. it's farmers who have been along for 30 40 years right and who have invested in their stuff right and are gaining and are gaining some of these to stay on top Mm -hmm. right they're not creating 
new jobs. They're certainly lending to the economy. I'm sure they're, the, the U.S. is probably fucking breaking that shit in. But it's not like promoting any kind of new job creation. It's not promoting any kind of vast growth in a way that is beneficial to a whole lot of people rather yeah. than just the people who have been benefiting it from the longest. Part of the myth of like job creation, right, is that, yeah, you have all these businesses that that's a justification in terms of like government subsidies, whether mm -hmm. it's like subsidizing wage, whether it's reduced taxes, whether it's reduced um, like land grants. So either like giving companies yep. uh, land for free or like really below market value. It's like all these things are done in the idea that, oh, well, this is going to stimulate the economy and like stimulate growth. And like I said, give people jobs, right? So that they mm -hmm. can be useful contributors to our society. And what you find is that in this article that Alex has mentioned, and yes, and I will definitely put in the show notes because it's really interesting and it's uh, pretty detailed, I'd say. Uh, it talks about like how this is like a myth. Like, and then that's part of like why, like, but even before I read this article, I, I was not agreeing with that position that it is a job creator. But what it, what it, part of what it says is that, uh, yeah, there are a lot of, um, you know, new businesses that, you know, come out and when they do, yeah, they hire a lot of people. So when you have like a new sector that's like gaining ground, right, you have a lot of companies pop up, uh, you know, things will get established, things will get going, wheels are in motion, right? So it's like kind mm -hmm. of bringing everybody in, it's bringing the economic prosperity that, you know, they're touting so much. But what it goes on to say is that majority of those businesses like are gone within like one or two years. Yeah. So the only areas that experience growth in terms of like larger widespread growth, not just within like a single company or organization or anything like that is, is new businesses. But their positive effect is neutralized by the fact that most of them are going to close. And so what you have is older established businesses who will continue to grow, but for themselves, they generally don't uh, create whole new job sectors. Yeah. So it's basically a timeline of like, as your business gets older, the less new job creation there is. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, and, and, and the other thing to, to remember for especially for capitalistic societies that, you know, that we're in is that there's also like market consolidation which you touched on there talking about like cotton farmers and stuff yeah uh that's a thing right because every single company that that is a part of a certain industry at a certain point they are going to basically stop making profit there will be they'll, they'll, there's a market cap to how much they mm. can make and this happens to every single company an interesting book that i was reading was about um it's called like taken for a drive. And it's basically about the merger between Chrysler, like the car company Chrysler uh -huh. and Mercedes Benz that happened uh, in the uh, late 1990s. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, like the, their justification for the merger was that like, like at least on paper, it looked like a good idea. Part of it, at least what they sold to the public was that uh, Chrysler had like a good like international no, no, sorry. Mercedes had a good international distribution network, but Chrysler didn't. Chrysler was strong in the U.S., uh, yeah. but like uh, Mercedes wasn't strong in the U.S. And then also Chrysler did not have a good international distribution. So I was like, oh, OK, well, you're good at international. We're good at the U.S. market. So like if we merge, then, you know, Mercedes will have access, better access to the U.S. market. And then 
Chrysler will have better access to international markets, right? So that was kind of like, again, the public facing justification. But the real reason was that like both companies were basically pushing up their against their wall in terms of like their upper limit for profit. Yeah. So the only way to continue making money was like, oh, we need to consolidate the market. So it's like you have to come together, cut out all these jobs, and then there'll be more room for profit. And this happens in every industry. That's why like when we say we live in a capitalistic system, it's like, yes, but it's not like a true free market where you have Mm. people entering and exiting a given industry uh, at any at, at. at any point in time, what you have is like what you said for like the cotton uh, people, for example, is that the older established ones, companies, organizations, whatever, they're going to do whatever in their power, whatever it is in their power to keep their position and stop yeah. new entrants from coming in because they want to maintain their status quo. Absolutely. I think the the Chrysler thing you just mentioned really made me just think of um recent more recent uh mergers that we've seen like facebook taking over instagram for instance exactly or or disney taking over marvel right like those more and more we see big companies acquiring i mean and and i i know that like the nature of uh businesses i guess is to purchase other ones and make themselves bigger because as if you don't already know this the purpose of capitalism is to never stop uh and always make a profit <laughs> make it bigger and bigger and bigger um so it's very it's just it's 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 cool that you it's it's cool that you mentioned that because like yeah we see these things of like you know facebook taking over instagram and whatever and it's all in the business of staying on top right like if you have of course instagram was a competitor to facebook as a social network and it's in order to not only make more money but also to stop a different competitor from taking over that market they just absorb them right and there's something that we, that's something that's been discussed, of course, is the like the monopoly of certain industries by these big conglomerate corporations, right? Which could verily entire very entirely be reality in in a few years if this is the trend that keeps going, yeah. right? And it creates an environment, as you I think you were going to mention, that like small businesses, like a new entrants into the into whatever industry, have a really hard shot at doing anything, at making it right. No, exactly, and then and that's big part of the problem that's why you need something like governments to go in there and break up mm-hmm. uh the market or the marketplace uh because yeah you'll get this point of stagnation where it's like three or four companies that control everything so even here like in canada looking at like our um wireless providers mm. right so like uh rogers bell uh, and telus right those are the three major uh, yeah. providers of like phone, cellular, mobile internet service. And I think they also provide like cable and TV yeah. packages too, uh, depending where you live in the country, because I don't know if this is also the same in the States, but here it's, it's regional monopolies. So like in this, in Montreal, it's like only like Bell and I think Videotron, which is a more regional player that can yeah. like provide TV services. And then Toronto, it's like Rogers, and I think Bell are the only people who are allowed to provide these these services. But when you look at like our cell phone services, those are the major like three companies like nationwide. There are smaller local yeah. carriers depending on uh, where you live, uh, whichever province you're in. Even they still use the the setups that the bigger companies have, though. It's not like they're just yeah, taking yeah. a little bit of share of the pie. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, they generally lease part of the network. Like part yeah. of, I believe, the mandate from the CRTC is that they have to 
least part of their network out. But yeah, the ones who actually control the pipes, who control the factory is 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 like Bell or Rogers or Telus, whoever built it, built the network out. Um, but for at least the end consumer, not to mention like for the workers that work at that, those companies, right? It's like we mm. don't have much choice. We're limited on what we can do because, it, like I said, in the wireless market, there's like three major companies that control everything, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they like collude with each other. Now, I'm not saying as like official accusation or whatever, uh, and for like legal reasons. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> but they Please collude. Please don't sue us. Please don't sue us. <laughs> they definitely collude with each other. Like whether or not, I'm not saying they necessarily like sit down and have like a meeting where they all meet and decide. But if you look at all the plans that they provide, like for cell phones and like internet packages and all this stuff, they're all essentially the same. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Like they have once you get to that point where there's like two or three or four people in a given industry, there's no point in making it difficult on each other. Right. You just go, OK, we'll set our plans at like sixty dollars a month. And then, you know, the other two are going to uh, do the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. You might they might have a promotion where, they, you know, they lower it a bit, but that's temporary. Right. They have no incentive. Like, what's the point? Like, why am I going to provide twenty dollars a month when we could all just charge a hundred? And then as a consumer. Where do you have to go? You it have no choice. Little choice as a right? consumer for sure. So what what is this freedom that I'm I'm hearing about, right? Because like, oh, I can free to give Bell a hundred dollars, or I'm free to give Rogers a hundred dollars. Yeah, that's part the of idea the of a free market really gets fucked out of the way when you realize that companies are not just ent- single entities, right? No. Like there are people lobbying for them. Exactly. There are people uh, receiving government subsidies for them, colluding with others. Like they're it's not, it's all a web, dudes. <laughs> Exactly. And then so I believe in 2008 to 2010, there was a government mandate here in Canada to allow new entrants into the wireless market. So uh, like the way it works, there's like a spectrum of like uh, sound waves or light waves, uh, radio waves, I should say, like the the actual like frequencies that like the modem in your phone is like attuned to to like perceive the actual cellular signal from like the towers and like the satellites that float around the earth and all that stuff so a block of that was coming up to uh for auction because that's the way the government hands it out it's like through an auction and so part of that was reserved for new entrants into the canadian market and so it was kind of like a big deal it's like oh okay look there's actually going to be some competition right although not mm-hmm. a lot because there's only three new entrants but it was more than just the traditional three and so critics at the time were saying, well, this is good. It's a good start, but this isn't enough because of that massive gap between the established powers yes. and these new entrants. And most people said that, oh, within five years, all of them are going to be bought out. And then what happened? They were all like bought out, you know, so it like made no difference. And so yeah. uh, all Bell, Telus and uh, Rogers, like, you know, are aware of this as well, this idea that, oh, there's only three of them. So they all have like sub brands. Mm-hmm. So this is to give yeah. you like the illusion that there's, oh, there's different choices that you have, the, right? The, the day I learned that Fido was owed by Rogers, yes. I, I think I cried a little. I was like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> and even like for, um, for Fido used to be a different wireless provider. It used to be an independent company, but then it was mm. bought out by Rogers. And same with Telus. Telus was like... um. Uh, I think maybe I think Telus was the original company and there was another company called ClearNet that Telus bought and actually took all their their marketing materials and all that stuff. So whenever you see Telus commercial, if you're not familiar with Telus, like a lot of their ads involve animals and all this stuff. Yes. 
Yeah, that was ClearNets. Huh. Um, that was their marketing angle for for selling their services, and then when they were bought up by Telus, Telus just adopted it. They just took it over. Like mine now. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So even back then, because this is like uh, late '90s, early 2000s when this happened. So when the Canadian cell phone market was, uh, you know, a bit younger, yeah, there were more players in there, but they got bought out. And then when the government did this thing to introduce competition, uh, you know, they got bought out. Yeah. So it's like, well, what role does do businesses have then in like in creating jobs for us? And it's not just providing a job. It's also like the quality of that job. Right. It's not just like there's no point in saying, oh, yeah, well, job creators like, you know, we're business, you know, and they give you like minimum wage or below minimum wage, you know, like working at restaurants, because that's the other thing brought up by the pandemic. Right. Is there's been a labor shortage. Yes. In the sense that a lot of people don't want to work for shitty pay and no benefits no right and no, I so think it's, i think it's no so mind. funny because uh, i i so i worked in the restaurant industry for all throughout my university career basically uh, so for five years and the shit i put up with and like i was at a i was at a decently upscale like fancy restaurant downtown um and i would never want to do that again i'm gonna be honest with you never again no, no, no completely no. fair like and i feel like a, for the a lot of people the pandemic was a bit of a wake-up call as you just finished saying is like huh i guess i don't want to go back to working crazy hours not getting a decent salary for it not getting any benefits and having my employer trying to treat me like garbage right uh and I'm and I'm so here for it. I'm really happy to hear that. But like it's and and then it's but the, this is crazy because it's painted in the in in news and stuff as exactly like a labor shortage. Like oh, well, people don't want to work, right? Like I remember when uh the when EI when 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 EI was becoming more popularized because of the pandemic, at least here, right? Yes. A lot of critics against that were like, well, you know, they're not going to want to come back uh because it's and. Because it's more attractive to stay on uh, on unemployment yeah, insurance. on unemployment. Thank you yeah. on unemployment insurance than it is to actually go back to a job. Yeah. And to me, that's a bit of a self own, right? It's like if you're <laughs> if you're saying that you're admitting to the fact that yeah, it is more attractive to stay on unemployment insurance than it is to go out there and make a job, and that's not good. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that employ that doesn't mean that people in the workforce are like lazy and don't want to be working. It means that the conditions of the work were not satisfactory and they don't want to going back to that crap. No, exactly. That's a good point. Uh, Yeah, because it just means that you have to provide something more Mm -hmm. than just, you know, monetary gain to attract people to want to work for you. So you have to ascend because a lot of people work these shitty jobs because it's like, okay, I I do that. Yeah. Or I have nothing. Yeah. Right. And so I'll be out on the street. Uh, I may have. you know, a family to support, uh, you know, I may have, you know, I, you got your bills that you got to pay, mm-hmm. uh, you know, assuming, you, you know, you just don't live uh, like out in the forest or something like that. Right. If you partake in society, it's not free. No, so if no. you are, um, you know, left with no other options other than to work crappy jobs, then that's what you're going to do because you For need sure. something at the end of the day. But if there's an alternative such as going on EI or if uh, ever a, uh, universal, universal basic, basic income thing yeah. is implemented in a in a proper way right obviously it's going to allow people the actual freedom to say oh no wait i don't have to do that then your yes. responsibility as an employer if you're a job creator as you say 
is you have to find ways now to incentivize a person to come and work for you beyond the money, right? And what's that going to be, right? It's not too hard to think, right? It's obviously it's going to be like a high like wage, obviously, but also the conditions. Yeah, you know, at least a livable wage, and then the actual conditions of the job, right? Mm -hmm. How you're actually treated, not just in terms of like you know, if your boss is nice to you kind of thing, like, yes, that helps, but it's more like the conditions under which you're expected to work. Right. If I'm supposed to like, uh, using the video game industry, for example, because I read about this all the time, there's like people who work nonstop, right. Cause they have Mm. like, what's called like crunch time basically. So so it's when they get close to like a deadline for delivering a game and it makes sense sometimes. Yeah. You got to stay a little bit later or you got to work into the weekend or something like that happens every now and then. Right. Cause you know, nothing, things get planned out, but not, as we know, not everything goes to plan all the time and that's okay. But like, so they have this crunch time, but that could last like two months where you're expected to work overtime. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 Where it, you know, they'll say, oh yeah, there's crunch time, you know, like one or two weekends before a release date or something like that, or some major deadline if it's not specifically a release date. But then when you read the accounts of people who actually work there, it's like, oh no, no, no. It's like two months of crunch time where you're expected to work like 12, 16 hour days basically nonstop until you know they say not to anymore jesus right so like if this is your only option because you could just well don't work that job and it's like no well then it's not always the case yeah you don't always have the freedom to say oh no i can stop work and then look for because there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to find the type of job that you want and i'm not saying you're being extremely picky but no i think yeah, uh, people who have that perspective of like, oh, well, just look for something else are definitely coming from a position of a kind of privilege, right? Like that you have a the time to go looking for another job while working a different job or like you have the mental capacity to even do that, right? Because looking for a job isn't just like you can't just go around handing your CV to companies anymore. It's a, no, it's a yeah, storefront. Beyond that, you yeah. can. But that was a very, di- like, I, I did that to get one of my first jobs, and, but that was a very different time. Literally, even just like 10, 10 15 years ago, it's very different, right? For now sure. the job market's all online. You have to be applying to things. You have to search for things. And especially if you're looking for something better, mm-hmm. you have to try kind of look at like, what is this a job offering salary-wise? Is it better than what I've got going on now? Does it offer anything competitive, right? Like, you can't just sit... You, a lot of people a can't just give up their job and then start looking for one so the alternative is like oh i'll just look for one now and a lot of people just can't do that Mm -hmm. right yeah gone are the days where like you could just walk in somewhere and say hey can i can i work and they're like yep here you go right now like the requirements for so many even entry-level jobs are like ridiculous they like yeah you need to be specialized they make like no sense like back when i was looking for a job I would come across things that are entry level and it was like, you already need like two or three years of experience in, mm-hmm. in something. And it's just like, yeah, I don't get how an entry level job can mandate. And it's like everyone, it's a cash 22. Cause I'm like, well, it I is. need experience to get a job, but I need a job to get experience. It's like, how does this yeah. make it? Like, you can't get in anywhere. Right. The only yeah. way then is like, you have to know people or you have to come from like a, a rich or wealthy enough family where mm-hmm. eh, finding work isn't really a, like a huge priority because you'll be taken care of either way. No, for sure. And like something that you, we, we touched upon earlier uh, that kind of fits into this menta- fits into this, right. Is this idea of like people only being beneficial to society if they're participating exactly. in this system. Yes. Right. Like, 
which is such horseshit. Uh, the of course the way that we the way that we live in late stage capitalism, right? Like your only value, your your quote unquote valuable uh, to society if you have a job, if you are purchasing things, if you are a consumer, right? Because you're making the economy mm-hmm. keep going, right? But that is such an awful way to think about your value as a human being, right? It's really it really fucks with your perspective on who you are. People's value should just be the fact that they're people, right? Like human life is kind of a miracle when you think about it. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of sacred, right? Like distorting your value down to like how much money you can make and how much money you're spending to contribute to the economy is a fucked up. It can really lead to a lot of can really lead to yourself having some weird like uh, and bad like self uh, self doubt and self. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. You know what I'm talking about, like self-worth issues, right? Yep. Uh, but also totally de- uh, totally eliminates a bunch of people from having value in that case, right? Like people who are disabled and who can't work immediately undervalued in the system. Uh, elderly people who are retired, totally out of the picture in this, in this, in this system, right? And you can say, and you can say like, oh well, yeah, they're not contributing to the economy. But oh wait, are you telling me your grandparents don't have value? Your parent, your 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 sister who might be blind doesn't have value, right? Because she's not working. It's like oh well, well mental, right? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's something that I remember even talking about uh, when I was like in high school and stuff, right? Like an issue mm-hmm. going forward is going to be like, wh- who will be considered valuable? In a society, and that all depends on what kind of society that we have, right? If we want yes. to prioritize, uh, you know, a world where you're only useful when you're generating profit for others, because that's the thing you have to realize, right? When we say these things like being useful for the economy, it's like it's not for the economy in like some broad no. general communal sense. It's for the enrichment of yes. specific individuals, right? So these are yes. would be people who are stockholders. These would be people who are executives. These would be people who are like management. These would be people who come from wealth who want to keep creating wealth for themselves. Because uh, as we've talked about, and I'm, I'm sure uh, plenty of other episodes, uh, you know, the point of a business is to extract as much profit as possible. Mm-hmm. That's their only goal. So for like us to change as a society, I think like we need to, uh, and this is something I've been saying and slash thinking for like a while, probably at least 10 years, is that we have to change the definition of what like, corporation is under yeah. like our system our monetary system our economic system right it can't just be something whose only goal is to create profit for shareholders that's not good enough anymore because a company uses so much more right a company takes corporation a person whoever whoever is the person that holds the wealth they take so much from a community yeah right like uh, in terms of the environment, right? So you talked about clothes being made before. Like if you actually go and look, uh, especially like in places like Bangladesh and Nepal and China, like where they manufacture clothes, if you go look <laughs> what happens on the other end of a factory, right? You have one end where the shirts and clothes or whatever coming out. If you look at the back end, right, where all the disgusting chemicals and slime and stuff is coming out, right? It'll make you question like, oh, this is actually the cost. Uh, Absolutely. There's so much. Cost. There's there's even even more than the environment. Of course, like a lot of corporations are major polluters, right, in, mm-hmm. in the environment sector. But a lot of people don't realize that, like working, like working under the system that we have, 
uh, detracts a lot from your ability to do anything else, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're working nine to five, you're working Monday through Friday, nine a.m. to five p.m. That's forty hours of your week that you consecrate to doing a specific thing that isn't spending time with your family, engaging with your community, uh, trying to make, trying to potentially make the world a better place, right? Like that's I think that's why we saw so much, so many protests happen during the pandemic is that people had time to actually give a shit and like yes. organize and uh, march for the things that they cared for, which under a system where you're working all the time, you can't do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and of course that that's, that's kind of where they want you to be. And I say they generally uh, being, again, people, people in power who are generating this profit don't want the system to change because it benefits them, right? And if you have people uh, doing, spending the majority of the time doing that and coming home exhausted and, wor- and having worked all the time, they're not going to be in a position to want to bring in change, right? I will also add quickly the 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 book that I was referring to. I have it now in front of me. Uh, is the travels of a, a T-shirt in the global economy? Uh, and a subtitle: An Economist Examines the Markets, Power, and Politics of World Trade. It's by Pietra Rivoli. If you want to check it out, it's a pretty good book. All right, cool. And something I wanted to add, and I think we're we're going to touch on it, is when we think about um, investing in jobs. Like to bring it back to our original point. Yep. Uh, to, to invest in, in jobs and invest in businesses is different from investing in the future, right? Like there's a lot of people can equate the two and it's very easy to do, right? Like if you think, well, I'm investing in business, governments are putting their money into business. That must be a good thing for, for the future of our planet, right? Mm-hmm. The future of, of society. Uh, when realistically the choice of what to invest in is what makes the difference, right? Like there's a lot of evidence, for for example, there's a lot of evidence that uh, we could be generating like a crazy amount. We could could switch to renewable energy sources completely very, very quickly if we actually were able to invest in it. Like solar energy, specifically in places like the Middle East or uh, like places that get a lot of sun, right? Could be done quite quick, quite easily. But the, for the global economy currently, that kind of switch is very hard to do because there are so many people lobbying against that, right? The fossil fuel industry is lobbying against that. Uh, People who make a lot of profit from uh, vehicle manufacturers and uh, mining to create the cars, right, are all lobbying against creating viable solar energy. Mm -hmm. Um, But when realistically, and a lot of people are like, oh, well, you can't invest in green technology. You can't invest in green, uh, in renewable energy because that'll detract from the economy. When realistically, if governments subsidized um, the creation of renew- of like viable renewable energy sources, that would generate, that would actually generate a lot of yeah, jobs. That'd be like right? a new market in this case. Exactly. Exactly. Which but, is so crazy to think about. But then we'd get, if we keep, this is the thing though, if we keep the same system though, we'll end up in the same point in terms of like, yeah. once those companies get older, right? The job creation will so start true. to stagnate. So true. Because usually when people talk about, oh, this will be better or uh, this will improve things. It's, uh, my question is always is, is as compared to what? Right. Mm. Because I'm like, you have to compare it to something. You just say, oh, this is going to be better. Well, better than what? Uh, Because you will end up with the same problem, just it'll be shifted. Right. So we we talked about renewable energy. Uh, You know, we talked about cars. 
in terms of like uh, big oil business, which I'll quickly add, oil uh, companies are subsidized by governments too, right? Literally, so literally. if you change, you know, who you give the subsidy to, right? Obviously, you can change, uh, you know, where we go in terms of like taking care of the environment and all that stuff. Talking about cars, right? Electric vehicles, right? Mm. Right. Well, okay, we're gonna have less dependency on gasoline, right? Which is part of you know the oil industry's uh, thing, right? And, so yeah, we'll use less gas, but then we have another problem. What do you do with all the electronics and batteries and stuff that are created for the cars? Yeah. Right? Like, so it's the same problem, but it's shifted now. Because now, okay, you're going to have less oil production, perhaps, who knows, whatever. But now we have, how are we going to dispose of all these batteries? Yeah. Right? Like, if we don't change, like, the behavior behind it, like, we're going to still have the same result. Same thing with going, like, vegan and stuff like that and and uh, cultivating... um. Uh, or, or not, not cultivating because they're animals, but uh, uh, keeping animals. Raising uh, livestock. Ra- yeah, sorry. That's, that's, that's the terminology. Yeah, raising livestock, right? Part of the environmental damage of livestock is like obviously water resources uh, and deforestation and stuff, right? And, you have to, and methane emissions, yeah. And methane emissions uh, because, you know, you, they need like cows, for example, need uh, room to graze and all that stuff, right? So that's part of what... Yes why the Amazon rainforest, for example, gets uh, torn down, right? Because it's like, oh, we need to expand farming so we can have these animals. And it's like, oh, okay, well, we go vegan. And that way we don't need to have uh, these animals. But then if we don't change the behavior, which is the idea of infinite growth, right? Because if I'm a producer that makes some kind of plant material, whatever it's for, mm-hmm. uh, but my goal is to always increase my profits, well, it means I'm going to have to buy more land and plant more things. So I'm going to have to keep yep. growing. So yes, something like the, the Amazon forest won't get cut down for grazing land, but now it's going to get cut down for farming land. If it's something viable, it doesn't have to be Amazon, wherever, wherever it's yeah. going to be, you know, because yeah. even farming has its environmental damage. It's that true. it does. Like, so we're just, we've, we've just, you know, changed the problem slightly, but it's still the same problems. We don't actually fix the behavior, which is this idea of constantly growing it doesn't matter what we do. We're going to end up in the same place. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally, totally agree with you, honestly. Like the, the way we conceive of business uh, and something I wanted, to, I wanted to say earlier when we were talking about like uh, people contributing to the economy is like a lot. We've gotten to a point in time where a lot of people don't realize that the economy is kind of made up. Right. Like, yes, the, the concept of the people just take that for granted. They're like, oh, yeah, the economy, the economy, like you ever stop and thought what the economy actually it's is? It's just what we decide. It to be. It's just that we call the right. system by which things make money and money is transferred and generated to things. Just to just in case you listening didn't realize this, I'm sorry to have burst your bubble. <laughs> that is what the economy is. It's totally fucking made up, dudes. It's not made up. It's not like imaginary because we contribute to it. Real things happen to yes. create to, to create profit and great and create uh, currency moving hands and stuff. But the idea that the economy is something to be nurtured and uh, continuously growing is absolutely a byproduct of late stage capitalism and the systems that have brought up to the point that we are in. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think totally like you said, we as a society and as people have the power to decide what role that has in the functioning of our society and how much we invest in it, how much we put into it and what it ultimately does. Right. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize that. Like I, I mentioned that the, the economy is imaginary, not imaginary, made up because of the fact that because 
not to dismiss it, but to mean that to to show that we have the have power, albeit limited as individuals, to change what it means for us, right? And I think that's absolutely what you're getting on with is that we can't continue living in this with the system that we've got currently, the way the economy is made to 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 do things currently, because we're moving towards a hegemony of like companies like eating each other up until only like a few remain and generating infinite growth is not not sustainable right the idea of infinite growth is inherently unsustainable mm-hmm. uh, or unsustainable rather yeah that's why we get these Which boom I'm... and bust cycles all the time yeah because of yeah something that's Man. Something that's super interesting about the the article that you're you're gonna put in the show notes that brought this this thing together, uh, is, is which really got me actually, is that new businesses, uh, make a lot of, add a lot of employees mm-hmm. specifically during times of recession, yeah, which is really insidious in a kind of in in a, in a kind of way when you think about it, right? But because but it makes a lot of sense if you think about the economics of it, right? Like people in a recession, people are desperate for jobs. So of course, people are going to come up with new ideas to make a new business and people are going to flock to these new businesses because again, as we've just, as we said in other times, they might not, they don't have a choice. They're like, well, fuck, I don't have a job. I'm going to be, I can't pay my rent, et cetera, et cetera. And so they're going to flock to these things, right? But as we've discussed earlier, those startups and new businesses tend to fail very easily, right? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're caught in this weird cycle at least like businesses and therefore people are caught in this weird cycle of like, well, if the economy crashes, uh, I'm going to lose my job and potentially lose my business. Right. But at the same time, new businesses are coming up out of the trenches being like, yeah, come on, join us. And the people will do it. And it's this constant like churning for growth and new businesses. Right. Where all the people on the top, the cream of the crop, these big, your big conglomerate corps are like sitting pretty. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And because of the shit that everyone else is doing are able to like give jobs to people that are not giving them a living wage or not giving them benefits or making them, you know, piss in bottles to be able to <laughs> our shifts. I'm looking at you, Bezos. Yeah, <laughs> no, definitely. Uh, I just want to touch on um, what you mentioned there about planning for the future and all that stuff. And this goes on with like new companies that arise mm-hmm. with, uh, uh, in response to what's going on to the economy, like at large. Uh, and and this is again, and present like another kind of like paradox slash dichotomy or whatever, where it's like, uh, yeah, new companies come out and if they promote like a new technology and, you know, this is why we should be investing in, uh, you know, in terms of like, uh, you know, planning future prosperity and all that stuff. It's like, a lot of like new technology that comes out, even though it's presented as though it's going to be a benefit and make our society better, a lot of it is actually predicated on the fact that it will eliminate jobs, right? Yeah. So, uh, and and this goes back to uh, you know the the need to blame uh, things on immigration and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. This this ties in into that into that that stuff, right? So when you have a lot of right wing people talking about stricter rules on immigration and all this stuff, because what are they doing? They're coming to take our jobs. Where when you actually look at it, uh, people aren't taking all the jobs. Uh, what's actually happening is it's like either jobs are being sent overseas by so, these yeah, very same out- companies. Outsourcing to other Exactly. All right. Who are supposed to be job creators. It's like, yeah, they're going to create jobs in an area where they don't have to pay people anything. Or jobs are lost through automation. Mm. Right. So like looking at uh, just a very like simple example 
at, at grocery stores when they have like self checkouts, right? Or even mm-hmm. things like ATMs, like at banks and stuff, right? These things maybe can be convenient. It depends. You know, sometimes you go into a grocery store and it's like, oh, I just need to, you know, buy one or two things. Oh, there's a long lineup. Oh, I can just use a self checkout. Boom, boom. I'm gone. Sure. But those things are put in there to not have to pay employees or pay less employees. Yeah. Right. Because a machine doesn't need a bathroom break. Right. It's going to assuming it works properly because that's the other thing. A lot of the time when people have these technologies, they don't quite deliver in the way that they say they will deliver. Uh, But yeah, it doesn't need to do all the things that like a human person would need to do. Right. You don't have to worry about attitude. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, being on time. You don't have to worry about them staying late. Right. All that kind of stuff. You don't have to worry about paying them overtime. You don't have to worry about really paying them anything other than, I guess, their cost of electricity that they'll use. Yeah. Right. That's going to take away jobs, though, from the end. Or if you think like we talked about cars being made on an assembly line, right? Like a lot of people used to work Mm -hmm. or even other types of factories, right? You had a lot of those would employ a lot of people. And then it's like, oh, no, we're going to have machines yeah do all the stuff because we can, you know, scale, you know, increase our scale, which we output products and, we can, uh, you know, create that that revenue, that profit for our shareholders now, because now we can send out like a million things instead of like, you know, 100,000 things. If it was all done by hand. Now, that's a super good point. The amount of like skilled labor uh, is no that we need today is no longer the same as it was like in the 80s or uh, even in the 90s, right, with the advent of automation. Like automation, ha- you, uh, big factories like you just finished talking about, used to be a huge supplier of jobs, right? For people yes. because you'd need, you'd have these big places. You need to have a lot of people working to do their little individual thing to make this part of a, a certain thing, right? To be able to create a larger product. Uh, and that's just simply not the case anymore mm-hmm. with uh, things being automated the way that you said, which is like really rough for the average person because it means that your unskilled laborers are no longer as valuable as they were uh, 30, 40 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And, but, it's, but it's weird because the image is still that these factories and these big companies that do this are still big job creators, when in reality, they don't need that many people anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a weird narrative they've still got going. Yeah, and that's all part, of, again, of the idea of trying to maintain the status quo so that the general population will, you know, accept this. So ex- accept the idea of all your value is only based on what you contribute to the economy. And I'm saying, like, this is not a, a good position to hold in that mm-hmm. sense. Like, you should value people because they're a person, not because they can create wealth for other individuals. Right. Yeah. That's something be important. Yeah. Go ahead. Something I've seen recently and I've come to espouse really, really highly, highly actually is this idea that and, and in this in the same thing that we're talking about here, um, jobs as like you, people should want to people should do work because it means something to them. Yes. Right. Because it feel like feel like feel like they're contributing to society or doing something that they love or whatever. Right. We're we're in a current we're in a position right now. Uh, in the way that our, our economy works and our jobs work, that a lot of people have jobs out of necessity, right? In order yeah. to pay the bills, in order to support your family, in order to X, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like in order to pay rent or whatever. And something, I, I think I saw this, This I don't know if this was a study or something, but it's like, if given, oh, if given the choice to like people, uh, an argument that's used a lot against people receiving universal basic income, for instance, is like, oh, well, they won't do jobs, right? They won't do like your average thing. 
but it's pretty much it, it, it's shown that it, there's there is evidence that shows that like people who are at least making a who are earning money enough to get by will still want to do something yeah. we'll still want to do a job because as humans we want to have purpose yeah we want to have feel like we're contributing in some kind of way right uh so i think there's a real like discrepancy discrepancy between jobs the way that we see them now against like agency and self-determination mm-hmm. as as humans right like if you're just working a job because you have to and you have to get by right like where is the value in that for you as a human like i feel like a lot of and there's been so much writing on this right like of people who like the the whole the whole idea of uh of marxism is like uh that you you no longer you are separated from your labor right like these guys who were in factories and putting the little cogs into their thing to in order to bring the thing you the, in order to create the bigger thing uh, really weighs on the human condition because you don't you're not feeling fulfilled you're not feeling like you have a purpose you're just making money mm-hmm. and you're in the capitalist system in order to meet an end which is to survive mm-hmm. right and people shouldn't have to work to survive they should have to work they should work because they want to yeah at the end of the at least for me you know for sure no and I think that we're at a point where we, because I, I know a lot of people will say like, oh, you know, like society will fall apart then if we don't have the system that we currently have. But I'm like, I think we have enough people. And I think we have enough smarts where we could figure out a way to do stuff, to self-organize. Absolutely. Right. Like we can figure it out. Like we've sent someone to the moon. I think we know yeah. how to organize society so that it would not come apart. Would it you be know? exactly as it is now? Maybe not. Maybe not. But it's not like it's going to be it like be the apocalypse or anything like that. You know, it's like people, uh, I, I saw this, I thought, I don't know, remember where I saw this, but it's like, you know, people used to think that the divine right of kings could never be toppled, right? That system was the end all be all. Mm-hmm. And clearly we're no longer in that. So th- that to me is proof that any system that governs the way that we rule, the way that we make maintain society can be challenged and can be improved upon, right? No, definitely. And, um, yeah, so just bringing it back to like, again, the idea that businesses are job creators is like, this is why, right. like, I mean, no, this is all in service to like, it's, that, it's that true. Topic it, it, all, it, it's, it all ties in. It all ties in connected. Like you just can't look at one particular no. component that affects so many things, right? Like the broader worldview informs people who would believe a such a statement as businesses are job creators. But this is why, yeah. like, you know, they're not because they don't, at the end of the day, they don't do that they yeah you have a job but it's not like like because we we give money to corporations Mm -hmm. under the assumption that you know this is going to be beneficial for society at large well and what we're finding is that it's not the case yeah if you give businesses corporations whoever money in terms of subsidies tax breaks whatever they're just going to keep it for themselves because that's what they're incentivized to do under the system that we have. Yeah, they're going to use it to generate more profit. Right. right? They're just going to keep it and then cut services. Like I mentioned probably in a bunch of episodes because it pisses me off every time I think about it is that here <laughs> in Canada, we had a wage subsidy for yeah. corporations. And now it makes sense if you're a small business, perhaps. Right. Uh and you've been affected by the pandemic, by uh, shutdowns, and like because for a long time here in Quebec, I think probably longer in other provinces, like here, I mean, longer mm-hmm. than other provinces, right? Like restaurants and certain stores couldn't be open. Yeah. 
right? Certain venues couldn't be open. So I can understand, you know, oh, I don't want to like have to fire all my employees, but I'm also not bringing in the same income or revenue, I should say, uh, as I was before. So, okay. So that makes sense. Okay. Government gives you, you know, whatever amount, X amount of dollars so that you can continue to pay your employees the, the same rate that you were paying them before or more or whatever, but you're generating less revenue. Okay. That makes sense. I understand that. That's, mm-hmm. that's all good. But then you have other corporations either not in that position or large corporations like Rogers and and Bell. Who are still benefiting from these. Who apply for those things. And then they post record profits, right? Yeah. And then they still let go employees and they took the wage subsidy. So it's like, again, how is this job creation when all these companies, and that's the other thing about people complaining about uh, the wage uh, crisis or whatever, a labor crisis, I should say, mm-hmm. is that a bunch of companies have produced record profits over this pandemic. So clearly they're not hurting. No. So that's why I think, you know, we have to stop part, part of the other, the other part of the reason is cha- wanting to change how we view companies and corporations and businesses is that stop investing like in terms of at least government anyways, Stop yeah. investing in, in those entities but, and start investing in people and in communities. Yes. So that's why I support something like a universal basic income or something like that. Just give it to the people directly. And so that way, yeah. and same with like universal health care, right? A lot of people get mm-hmm. a job that they don't like because maybe it gives them access to health care. Yeah. Uh, especially in the U.S. where they don't really have, I mean, they do now, but they don't really have any kind of universal thing right (laughs) and it's crazy right so it's like part of it is like okay i have to work now because i need to have access to those benefits but if we create a society where uh those are just readily available from the government then yeah maybe i don't want to go and work at a job that's why i said it it'll come back to businesses or companies having to incentivize someone to work there with something else that means you just have to be better at attracting people you can't just rely on oh well this is your only option so you know, uh, you take it or leave it. it. Like that's it. No, it's like, you know what? I always, I, I not always say this, but like, it's like, you know, what would really stimulate the economy for governments to invest in ending homelessness. Like that would, that's the other thing. Yeah. It's true. Getting all those providing housing. That's what I'm saying. Providing housing to people in communities and people. Absolutely. Would give people like, give all those people a reason to go out and try to get jobs or to become part of the workforce. Right. Or find something that they like to do. Yeah. Because we have like so many vacant properties, buildings, homes in Montreal. It's crazy where you could give or either redevelop the land, whatever, whatever it takes. But we could, that's what I'm saying. We could design a system where yeah. everyone is essentially taken care of and we'd all be good. Yeah. Right. And, and you have those people who are like, oh, well, they can't just get things for free. They, oh, we yeah. pulled myself up by my bootstrap. So should you. Blah, Except, blah, but blah, you, blah, you blah. would benefit to anyone who says that you would yeah. also benefit. No one's saying that. Oh, well, because you're, you know, you, now you can. It's like, well, no, this would benefit you. It's like um, uh, just a couple more things before we end. But it's like um, for this is like an accessibility thing. Uh, like on the metro and the buses, right? When they announced the stops. Yeah. Right? Um, for a long time, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how it played out here in Quebec, but in Toronto for the TTC, uh, there was a person that actually like filed some kind of lawsuit because the buses oh. and the subway didn't announce the stops, right? And it was like that. an accessibility thing for someone who's like blind or... Yeah, for um, sure. 
visually impaired, if they're not like completely aligned and all that stuff, or uh, if they don't have um, necessarily good hearing or any of that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Makes it uh, very difficult. Or you might have other other things that make recognizing where you need to get off at, uh, you know. Uh, so part of the justification for not having a system that like announced a thing was like, oh, it's going to be too expensive. It's only going to, you know, it's, it's for people who can't see. Like, why should we spend all these millions or hundreds of millions of dollars for people who can't see? Well, right. When majority of people can see. Like, a sentence people could say. <laughs> that's the justification, right? It's just like when you think on those terms, right? If you think just profit, right? And expense. You don't exactly. think about the human condition. But this is this is the other thing, though. Yeah. Once the system is implemented, it benefits everyone. Right. How many times have I been on the bus going to an area that I've never been to before? Mm-hmm. Right. I can read on the on the map or the instructions or whatever. Get off at this stop. But I don't know what it looks like. I've never been there before. Yeah. Or if you go at night, I can't see really. So I, I can't see the street signs like I, I, I I'm lost. Like I, I really have never been like it makes sense if, oh, this is a route I pass by every day. I know all the streets. I know everything is. But if it's somewhere I've never been. That's not the case. Or if it's at night or there's poor visibility for whatever reason, you know, and you have no visibility issues. Hey, when it announces a stop, oh, I get off at this street. Oh, it says it out loud for me. Well, there yeah. you go. I know. Like now I don't have to wonder anymore. It just helps. I think you really everyone. have a perfect example with this. Yeah, this is a perfect example. Like I've ever since they started announcing the bus, the stops on the metros or on the buses, it's been a net positive yeah. for like everyone involved I th- this is a really good example of that and i think a lot more programs that uh, and investing in systems that at first seem to only benefit a small minority of people will ultimately be beneficial to the entire populace but it's kind of, it's so fucked to me that people would discount even even just that first bit right even would just discount making a program or investing in something that would only help a minority of people simply because they are a minority of people or because they are under they are not as valuable to the economic system, right? That's just so crazy. And it just goes to show how deep in the pocket of late stage capitalism we really are, right? Yeah. When that's the case. But that's like a cost benefit thing that a bunch of people would make that decision where they'd be like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's only gonna, how many people? Oh, just this much? Oh, okay. No, we're not gonna waste time, you know, putting money into that because there's just not enough people. That's how many, that's how most things go. The other thing I wanted to mention in terms of like, uh the idea that uh you know people are are lazy right in terms of like getting benefits right so if we had like universal basic income or we had like free housing for people right because that's one of the things i don't think anyone should be allowed to make profit off of people needing shelter like i don't think there should be any land if you're someone who can't afford to um purchase a house for yourself like everyone should have some kind of shelter like housing is a basic human right i'm sorry it's ridiculous that that that's not the case especially in um uh, areas here where you have like winter and stuff Uh, where it's warmer maybe that's not a big of a deal but you still should have a place where you're protected from the elements where you don't have to you can be separated from other people you know you have your own like private space that should be made like available to to every everyone absolutely i'm reminded of this thing that i saw uh from and i'm trying to pull it up now so i could actually read it uh out loud but it's it's it was an expert excerpt from a philosophical text uh, about like the economy and economists and the mentality of that 
when it come when compared to just like morality for uh human to human relationships and stuff mm. and it goes into this parable of like uh, or it starts with a parable that's like an economist is walking uh, on is going is near the ocean or something and sees a, a person drowning and the person drowning goes like help please and they're right next to like a, a life preserver or something and the person drowning is like help me please and the economist goes okay what can you give me for it yeah right uh, and the, the guy drowning is like, well, fuck, I'm drowning. Could you please just help me? <laughs> and the comments goes, well, no, I'm not getting anything out of that. And so in this parable, the person uh, is like, okay, no, I'll give you my life savings if you toss me the life jacket. The person tosses the life jacket. And then the, the, the actual writer goes on to say, like, you know, in that, trans- in, that, in that interaction, the economist thinks, well, this is a perfect transaction. I received something uh, for, for what I did, and that person received something. Yep. When in reality... You acted like a fucking sociopath, right? <laughs> like, and that's this. That's this is the same, very similar par- parable to the idea of housing, right? Like, people, if people are not housed, they cannot survive in a lot of circumstances, right? Being homelessness can can and will kill you, right? But to per to people in the mind uh, mindset of well of of the economist or someone who is like thinking about making or has housing as a transaction yeah you don't see it that way right land and housing is something to be purchased and something to be earned when in reality if you are in your thinking in that mindset you're depriving people of the ability to live properly and potentially literally killing them yeah to it becomes increasingly difficult to participate in the society that we have in, yes. in the way that it's structured but uh, uh, this will be the last thing before uh, we end here. But I just want to go back to yeah the idea of like laziness, right? So, and, and again, this ties into like businesses as job creators because we don't want to have a society of like lazy people, right? Where nothing is done, where everyone just lives uh, with like no cares, I suppose. But this is the thing, though. So you could have because you know a lot of uh, pushback against these ideas would be that oh well, you're undeserving. Right. Because you didn't do Mm -hmm. anything for it. Right. We can't just give people things because this is wrong for a reason. Like I've never heard a heard a good justification other than that. It's not fair or it's just something you shouldn't do. Like people shouldn't be just be handed things and like in terms of like student debt or whatever. Right, A lot of people are against Mm. forgiveness of student debt because they just don't like the idea of it happening. I have not heard a good reason for it. But anyways. The problem I have with like this approach to like laziness or whatever and the idea that, well, if you're in bad or poor economic circumstance and, you know, you're just lazy, you don't want to work. My my thing is or my pushback against that is that that someone being lazy, like actually lazy has nothing to do with their economic circumstance. Absolutely. Not. You could have someone who's super wealthy and rich be just as lazy. And yeah. why is that justified? Oh, well, they work for a while. Like. Well, maybe they did, sure, but probably, most likely, it's inherited wealth. Like, I just yes. come from a family who's rich, so therefore I'm taken care of, so I don't need to go get a job even, or I can do the even pursuits. Most entrepreneurs, yeah, even most entrepreneurs, like, started with some sort of kickback from They're a all given number, right? something. Like, any person that claims that they're self-made if, is not really self-made, like, there's someone that gave them money somewhere, either family or someone that they knew that said, oh, here, you know, here, I'll just give you this. Right. And like and so, the, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, and by the literal definition of self-made, that means you only rely on yourself. If you start a business, 
uh, that employs other people, you're quite literally not self-made. You are profiting off of the labor of others. Exactly. And that's part of how the system works. But, you know, the I just uh, more for like the idea of like being lazy and being like, again, in a poor or bad economic circumstance is that, yeah, you can have someone who gets like a universal basic income, let's say, and just wants to lay out in the sun all day. And that's their only goal in life. And I'm saying, who cares? If you have a person who doesn't want to work, then they don't want to work, right? They, if they're poor, yeah. if they're broke because of it, uh, you know, if they're homeless, whatever the situation is, and they just, yeah, I just really don't want to, I don't like the sit, like, I'm just going to do this. That's their choice. That could be the case whether they have money or don't have money, right? Mm-hmm. That could be the case whether they have a universal basic income, so at least they could take care of their basic needs. Or they don't have a universal basic income. But then the opposite is also true. You have people who work super hard and, you know, become wealthy or at least well off economically, uh, whether or not they come from from established wealth. Right. That the opposite is also true. So I'm like, it really doesn't matter if someone's determined to be lazy, they will be lazy regardless of money or not. It's true. And I think this goes back to the thing that I was talking about of like people wanting to do work right like uh i was reading this thing that was like you know a lot of people see like i'm an artist right i I do music i i I write uh and a lot of people see uh like already famous people already rich people going into the arts and trying to do stuff and a lot of people look on that negatively but what i think and i saw this thing that was like well but if you think about it from a different from a different perspective right that means that a person who has their needs hurt their basic needs met will often choose to do art to do something that's totally different yeah from, right uh and that's like being an artist is certainly not lazy uh if you if you have any conception of like working in an artistic or creative but field. it gets portrayed it, as that it just seems like oh absolutely. anyone can do it right like if you play guitar and you create songs right someone who doesn't know and just hears end result right okay i hear music blah blah, blah. they just think oh yeah you just do that like it just happens like no work gets yep. put into it and it's like well no there's actually a whole thought process and there's trial so and much. error and like learning yeah. that goes on yeah. they just see like the hippy dippy stuff of like oh you know well it's all like love each other or i'm just gonna like frolic in the sun today but i'm like maybe that person frolicking in the sun is what they need to generate the idea to create the song that they need like just because it isn't sitting at a computer typing all day yeah doesn't mean it isn't work or that it's not useful in some I way. absolutely needed time to frolic in the sun in order to get ideas. <laughs> but you need time to step away, though. That's the thing. That's the other thing with this idea of like working in like nine to five is that you always need to look like you're busy. Yeah. When a lot of the time for productivity and this has been done like in studies in different parts of the world and stuff, they find out. Yeah. When people have breaks and they have downtime and they go and they just do piss all and they go and have fun like that's when like ideas and, and, and stuff and different productivity like actually happens so when they come back to work they're like oh i can do oh yeah i had time to like not Mm -hmm. think about it and now i can come back and do all these different things that i was supposed to do like that's part of the process but because we have this mentality of well i'm paying you so therefore you must be here at your desk for like eight hours and never goofing off right i that's what i want from you Right. It's always seen yeah. as like if you're not doing that, then you're you're stealing, right? You're stealing Which is from such the company. Shit. Like it's absolutely proven that workers who have time off or who are able to like, for instance, do personal stuff on work time are more productive. Right. 
uh, and are are generally happier, which leads to being more productive. So, yeah, and the, productive, the productivity thing, is a myth. <laughs> the other thing is like uh, because we have this this need again to always be working, right? Because you always got to be useful. You always have like a lot of these like middle manager type jobs where it's just like you always have to like look busy and stuff, right? One of the yeah. worst things ever is like looking like you're doing nothing. Like in a lot of jobs that I've had, uh, I couldn't be too good at my job because then I would finish w- too much work and not have anything. Mm-hmm. And then until like what new things come in, but then I'll have too much time where I look like I'm doing nothing. So it incentivizes you to actually not perform super well. So I have to like slow down and not do work. It's so true. All right. And then like goof off discreetly, but then have something to look like I'm working in case someone comes around or whatever. Right. Like it just creates this environment where it's just like, you know, if like, like, okay, you work nine to five, but I'm done all my work at three. If I did everything I was supposed to do properly, I'm done at three and two. Can I leave two hours early? No, you have to stay here. Why? (laughs) <laughs> you know <laughs> there's no good yeah. reason other than like oh because well, no. i pay no. you and that's that's what i want from you right yep. it's like or you can leave early but you're not going to get paid and then it's going to look bad because you left early it's like it doesn't make any sense it's like i did the thing i was supposed to do but like i said it just makes people go okay well and i gotta stretch it out so instead of finishing all the stuff i was supposed to finish and go free time i have to stay here for this eight hours and then work slower or crappier just to fill out the time better because it suits you. 100%. But anyways, I think we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. Cause, uh, you yeah, know, gone this, on, is a, like, this has been a fat sode. <laughs> yeah. But there you go. That's why businesses are not job creators. Uh, as previously mentioned, I will leave the article that we referred to. And that also gave inspiration and points uh, that we touched on. Uh, in this episode, I will leave that in the show notes. Before we go, Alex, do you have anything to plug? Oh, so many things. So many, so things. many, so many things. So little time. Uh, yeah. So obviously, I'm going to plug myself. Hey, uh, you've been listening to the show. I do music. I do uh, voice acting. I do regular acting. Uh, you can find if you're interested in me as a person uh, for either for hiring or just to just to, you know, DM me something. Uh, you can find me on all of my socials. That's at Crustaceous, C-R-U-Z-T-A-C-I-O-U-S. Um, uh, and the last thing I want to plug today, because f- it feels kind of appropriate for this uh, episode, uh, is my actual job. Uh, so I, if you don't know work, uh, I work, uh, <laughs> during the day when I'm not doing podcasts with PAV, uh, I work full time for this, for a nonprofit that's called E2 Adventures. And that's letter E, the number two adventures. Uh, we are a startup. Uh, so, uh, but we do some pretty cool stuff. Uh, basically we provide, we organize and provide virtual live virtual field trips to, uh, high school students. Uh, grades 6 to 12 in Quebec and Ontario. Uh, We do some really cool programs uh, and it's all live. Like we actually go to really cool industry sites that you couldn't technically visit if you were in person, for instance. Uh, Like a few weeks ago, we had a, we had this huge trip that had like 7,000 participants um, that we went to like a satellite factory, a satellite uh, factory that creates uh, satellites that go into space uh, to track greenhouse gas emissions from space to measure those. Uh, we went to the company that tracks those emissions and like saw how their software works. Uh, and then we visited like a carbon capture facility in Iceland, uh, all in real time. 
uh, and, and kids were able to like watch that uh, on YouTube and like ask questions to the experts in real time. It's a really, really cool uh, and compelling thing uh, that I really believe in. Uh, so, hey, if you want to check us out, we're also on our socials. That's E2 Adventures. Uh, we have a website. You can check it out if you have kids if you ha- or are a student uh, or are a parent of a student in high school. Uh, check us out. You might be interested in what we do. Oh, wow. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, music for this episode has been provided by Mia Pearson. So make sure you go check her out on SoundCloud. Uh, yeah. So that'll be it for this episode. I have been your podcast person, Pavel, also known as JPav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. With me, special podcast person, Alex. Thanks for listening to me, Rand. Yeah, thank you for listening to this episode. Stay tuned for an all new, all different episode of Aim for the Bushes dropping soon. Everyone, please stay safe. Uh, get vaccinated if you can. Wear a mask. Yeah, wear a mask. No war. Peace. Peace.